Welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 200A of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast, episode 200. It, that, that's, that's just crazy. That's just blowing my mind right now. Uh, this show has been around for several years, and it continues to get bigger and better. And 2020, huge things coming. So anyway, uh, we got a lot to discuss. We're going to get into a big, detailed fight review of Joshua Ruiz. We're going to start with that, okay? We're going to hit a couple quick news items and then get right into that. And then we'll also check out all of the other uh, fights this weekend. But real quick, uh, before I get into the news and notes, I want to ask you guys to make sure you thumbs up this video if you're watching live on YouTube. And um, other than that, man, the best thing you could do for me to help me out is spread the word about the podcast, spread the word about the show, the channel. If you're listening on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever it is, we're on all the damn, I can't even name all of them now, all the apps that have, uh, that stream podcasts. Man, just give us a thumbs up, give us a like, give us a review. Those ratings and reviews are huge. They, they really, really help me out. So make sure you do that and spread the word, okay guys? And I've been asking you guys for the last week or so, get over to iTunes, because I know I can see the analytics there's thousands of you downloading the show on iTunes and listening every week, and we've only got 152 reviews. That don't work. So we need to up the reviews on iTunes. So please do that. That is your fee for this episode, guys. Uh, some news real quick. So Dillian White, who I'll talk about in a second here. Dillian White fought last Saturday in Saudi Arabia, obviously. He was cleared by UCAD, UK Anti-Doping, last week. I just feel bad for this guy because for six months, basically, he didn't know where his career was, man. He didn't know what would be going on. And you guys remember there was the whole thing with the B sample. I'm not going to get into all the details and rehash all that for a million times. But anyway, UCAD released a statement last week, days before his fight, saying that it was an isolated contamination incident, whatever the hell that means. And they talked about the fact that he had been tested, there were, there were samples collected Days before and days after the sample that came back with trace elements of a banned substance. So anyway, UCAD, who I'm not a huge fan of. You guys know I'm not a huge fan of USADA. I like VADA. I think they're the way to go and the only way to go. And um, so far, we haven't had any incidents like this with them. Does VADA do everything perfect? No. But they are the best, clearly the best anti-doping authority in the world. Anyway, okay, so... Let's get right into this review. And again, there's a lot of stuff we're going to review from last weekend. But we're going to start with the big fight. I'm not going to make you guys wait because everybody's talking about this. It's what you guys are here for. Anthony Joshua scores a unanimous decision win over Andy Ruiz Jr. Reclaims his IBF, WBO, WBA heavyweight titles. And guess what? Guess what, people? The loss made him better. The loss to Andy Ruiz on June 1st actually made Anthony Joshua a better fighter. Get, get this, a loss made a guy better. So many people overrate losses and, and just go crazy with undefeated records, this, that, the other. It don't matter. I respect a guy for taking a tough L and coming back from the brink like that more than a guy not fighting the best consistently to keep an undefeated record. And most Boxing historians, boxing writers feel the same way, but there's a changing of the guards somewhat, and there are some media factions that have agendas, and just don't tell the truth about stuff like that. Anyway, anyway. <clears throat> so this was in Daria, I think it's Daria, Saudi Arabia. I was saying Daria last week, or Duria. I've heard it pronounced several ways on the broadcast Saturday, but Daria, 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 I don't know, Saudi Arabia, and... Um, that caused some controversy. You know what I'm saying? There were some people that didn't like it being over there. I understand that. But for what it's worth, Eddie Hearn <clears throat> said that he's going back over there next year. They're already got, they're planning two, two events over there next year. But Anthony Joshua is now 23 and one with 21 knockouts. So he's been taken to 12 round distance twice, twice, right? By pretty good fighters. Not great fighters, but pretty good fighters. And Andy Ruiz takes his second loss as a professional. I'll say this. Here's some observations just off the top of my head, okay? You can tell a lot about a fighter by the way that they react 
and respond after a loss. You go back to June 1st. Anthony Joshua takes the L to Andy Ruiz. Humble in defeat. He immediately says, I want a rematch because there was a rematch clause in the contract. Doesn't really blame anything. He doesn't say, oh, I was injured. And you guys have all heard the rumors that he was injured in camp before that fight. Oh, I wasn't 100%. Oh, he's a last-minute guy. Really didn't give a bunch of excuses. Just kind of took the L and got to work. Him and his team, his trainer, got to work. And guess what? They lost 10 pounds of muscle that he didn't need. 10 pounds of muscle that was holding him back over the last six months. While Andy Ruiz put on 15 pounds of flab. I do find it interesting that all the people after the weigh-in Friday. Remember, I did a, I did a live video Friday giving my reaction to the weigh-in. And I took some shit for it, of course, because I told the truth. And there, there are a lot of people out there, though, again, some of them with agendas. Not all, but some of them with agendas saying, Andy Ruiz had weights in his pocket. Oh, that sombrero weighed 15 pounds. Oh, the timing of the weigh-in threw his weight off. Guys, he weighed 15 pounds heavier than he was on June 1st. He looked visibly fatter. He did. And the night of the fight, his father, I saw an interview where his father actually said that Andy came into the ring in the 290s. They did another weigh-in somewhere. and That's what I've heard, that he was over 290 in the ring that night. So he was big, 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 okay? Big dude. And um, that to me shows, you look at the way AJ, again, going back to the way he responded in that loss, June 1st, and you got to look at the way Andy Ruiz responded after this loss. Now this, I, I want to preface by saying, I don't want to make this the beat up an Andy Ruiz episode. Don't want to do that. Andy Ruiz deserves respect. He knocked AJ out fair and square June 1st and became the heavyweight champion of the world. However, if you're going to talk about the good, you got to talk about the bad. Seconds, minutes after taking this dominant loss to Anthony Joshua, and in my opinion, losing a 12-round Anthony Joshua, and in my opinion, losing a 12-round shutout basically means you're being outclassed. That's a worse loss than getting caught with a punch, not being able to recover, and losing by knockout. Getting outclassed over 12 rounds, and that's what we saw Saturday. That's a much harder L to take. That's a much harder L to come back from. Everybody gets dropped, knocked out. These things happen. You can come back from that. But coming back from a 12-round shutout, that's tough. That's real tough. Minutes after that loss, Andy Ruiz jumped in during Anthony Joshua's post-fight interview with the network. I think it was with Sky. I can't remember if it was the Sky Sports Network interview or the DAZN interview. But anyway... He dove in and said, yo, I want the third fight. I want the rubber match. Okay, SSB is saying it was Sky. Yeah, so it was the Sky Sports interview. He jumps in and says, I want the third fight. I want the third fight. Dude, you don't deserve the third fight. What the hell have you done to deserve it? Then also, to to further make it worse, right there in the post-fight interview, Andy Ruiz said, yeah, I didn't train that hard, and I gained too much weight. When literally the day before... He was making excuses saying, dude, I had a sombrero on and clothes on. And, and nah, man, like I'm on weight. He said that he weighed himself the morning of the weigh-in, Friday morning, and he was 268, exactly what he weighed six months ago. But then he ate a bunch of food because the weigh-in was late over in Saudi Arabia, and that's why he weighed in at 283. Who eats 15 pounds of food? I don't even think Andy Ruiz can do that. So it's, it's, it was all bullshit. He basically lied to everybody at the weigh-in, after the weigh-in, and then blamed everything on his weight and lack of training after the fight. In the post-fight interview, I'm talking about the press conference, not in the ring, but later on the press conference. You guys have seen the videos where Andy Ruiz is sitting there next to Manny Robles, who is beside himself, so, so furiously pissed off with Andy Ruiz. He's not the first trainer that's been fed up with Andy Ruiz's shit. This is who Andy's always been. I've been saying it for six months. Nobody listened. Everybody got caught up in the moment, which is understandable. But, and again, I'm not saying it's to beat up on the dude. This is who he is. It's who he is. So um, Manny Robles sitting right next to him. And he was saying, yeah, man, I partied too much. I didn't train that hard. I basically trained myself. He's saying he basically trained himself with his trainer, one of the best trainers in the sport, sitting right next to him. 
Imagine how that made Manny Robles feel. He basically was embarrassed by Andy Ruiz sitting right next to him. Not a good look. So look at the way AJ handled himself in defeat. Look at the way Andy handled himself in defeat. Two very, very different ways. One guy got humble and got busy fixing shit. Andy Ruiz, remember when AJ stayed with McCracken, the same trainer? He didn't change trainers. He didn't change teams. I remember there was a bunch of YouTube videos from these guys saying, oh, man, that's a mistake. He, he's messed up in the head. He can't handle it. He was seeing a sports psychologist, and he's, you know, all, he's soft. And where, where are all these guys now? You made your money. You made your money off your clickbait bullshit videos that spit nonsense in I don't want to say educate fans. They miseducate fans. You create a bunch of ignorant fans with this bullshit, and now you're gone and spinning a new narrative. Now it's about something else. Now it's conspiracy theories that Andy Ruiz was told to take this L so they could set up a third fight. Get the fuck out of here. You people have lost your damn minds. What happened in this rematch was what should have happened in the first fight. All we saw Saturday night didn't surprise me none. All we saw was both guys fighting to their potential, who they really are. Anthony Joshua is the premier heavyweight in the division right now. He's not number one. You can't rate him number one because he just had a loss this year, a knockout loss. He was dropped four times, knockout loss. Wilder and Fury are currently rated above him, but in my opinion, this will all be sorted out over the next 18 to 24 months. Anthony Joshua is the best heavyweight in the world right now. I don't rate him number one. I rate him number three. So that might not make sense to some of you. But I respect the records. I respect the judges' scorecards and everything else. Wilder and Fury are number one and number two. AJ is number three. But you look at the resumes, and I'll detail them in just a second. It's not even close. And he's been a pro half as long as the other two guys. So, let's see what else we got here. You know, Anthony, okay, this is all this is, guys. Anthony Joshua got lazy in June. He read his own press clippings. He got hurt, I think, in camp. You guys have all heard the rumors. Also, by the way, Anthony Joshua said several times during fight week and in the post-fight interview, look, man, I ain't going to say shit right now. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I ain't going to say shit right now. I ain't going to give details. But one day after I'm retired, I'm going to write a book. And tell you guys what was going on before the first fight in June. He basically said that. That was not a 100% version of Anthony Joshua that showed up in the ring June 1st against Andy Ruiz. No excuses and he didn't make any. But he's just put that out there. Just a hint. He ain't going to say it now while he's still fighting. But later on that dude's going to write a book. Probably going to be a bestseller. And some information is going to come out about what was going on uh, during camp that led to that loss, I believe, against Ruiz. Anyway, AJ gets lazy in June. Lost, right? Comes back six months later when everybody was doubting this dude. There were so, I won't say everybody, but so many people doubting him. And even the people that picked him to win, most of them thought it was going to be like 115, 113, like this close fight where he has to get off the deck. He basically shut out Andy Ruiz. I scored at 119, 109 live. I gave one round to Ruiz. There were two swing rounds, the most... You could give Andy Ruiz his two rounds. What I found hilarious is that there were members of the press, they got to justify that credential, I guess, that were actually giving Ruiz four rounds, even five rounds. These people should not be scoring fights. Yet they have high-profile positions where they're getting paid full-time. It's crazy. But what Anthony Joshua did, coming back the way he did, <coughs> beating the guy that humbled him in such embarrassing fashion, right? It's the hardest thing to do in boxing. It truly is the hardest. It might be the hardest thing to do in sports because there's no teammates. There's no, there's nobody out there. Like when you play football, man, you're on a field with teammates, basketball, same thing. You know what I mean? Boxing is just you. Super chat pledge from Max Cuckerman. I love that name. (laughs) Thank you very much for the super chat. He says, why was Anthony Joshua fighting scared? I appreciate the Super Chat pledge, Max Kuckerman, but I completely disagree with you that he was fighting scared. I think he was fighting tactically a brilliant fight. Um, you know, People are calling it a masterclass performance. I don't know if I'd call it exactly a masterclass. Uh, I, I guess you could. 
but he was doing it against a guy who's not an elite-level fighter. Yeah, I'm going to say that about Andy Ruiz. Right now, he's a top-10 heavyweight, not top-5. But a year or two from now, Andy Ruiz is not going to be in the top-10. He's just not. He's not that level. He's a good, quality, decent fighter. He is. Fast hands. But he's uh, very inconsistent in the gym. Uh, mentally, gets lazy. And his feet don't move very fast. He has zero head movement. He could get under shots when he's in shape. But you could tag that dude with a jab all night long. He'll dip to his side to avoid right hands. He will do that. But, um, yeah. Anyway. So, Max Kuckerman, again, thank you for the super chat. I just don't know if I agree with uh, the fact that your, your opinion that AJ was fighting scared. But I wanted to talk about coming back from the loss. I wanted to get back to that. Guys. I was thinking about this, uh, and I tweeted about this, for those of you who follow me. Again, I'm going to go back to Vladimir Klitschko. And the reason why I'm going to bring Vladimir Klitschko up here isn't just because he was the last great heavyweight, but Anthony Joshua brought his name up several times during fight week. And then even after the fight in the post-fight press conference, he was asked, you know, is this win over Ruiz your, your best moment ever? And he goes, no, I'm the best moments when I beat Klitschko. This is number two. And he talked about Vlad all week. And Vladimir actually called him and gave him advice, and they talked about you know, what he needed to do to prepare for Ruiz because Klitschko's been there. Klitschko lost against overmatched opponents that he should have blown away. He was able to come back from that. And guys, I think people don't understand. Vladimir Klitschko, without losing, and during that time, during those 11 years that he did not lose, he unified three of the four major titles Four or five, if you include the IBO, four of the five. But just three of the four major ones. The Ring Magazine Championship, the Lineal Championship. And he was the second longest consecutive reigning champion, I think, in the history of boxing behind Joe Lewis. He 11 years without a loss, fighting the best opposition available that's willing to fight. Because several guys avoided him, right? Don King, Al, Ham- <coughs> Al Heyman in the WBC we're not going to do business with Vladimir Klitschko once Vitaly retired. Uh, does anyone think that Vladimir wouldn't have beat Berman Stavern or Chris Ariolo, who fought for the vacant WBC title? He would have destroyed both of those guys. And then a young Deontay Wilder, when he got that title and defended it for three, four years against nobody, he wasn't going to fight Klitschko either. Klitschko was the guy. And, and I just bring that up because he lost, and he lost in an embarrassing fashion. He was beat by guys that he was much better than. He came back. He won. Before him, it was Lennox Lewis who did that. He didn't reign as long as Vladimir, but Lennox Lewis came back. He shouldn't have lost to Oliver McCall. He shouldn't have lost to Hasim Rahman. And he was knocked spark out by those guys, right? The 10 count. He wasn't just dropped multiple times the way AJ was against Ruiz and then the ref kind of waved it off. The way Vladimir was against Corey Sanders or Lamont Brewster. No, he was out. Hasim Rahman one-hitter quittered him. He came back and one-hitter quittered Rahman, right? So these guys have done this in the past and they've gone on to become uh, dominant heavyweight champions and champions that are are going to be regarded better and better as the years pass. Anthony Joshua, he's far away from doing that. I don't want to jump the gun here, but he took a huge step toward doing that Saturday night against Andy Ruiz. It is very, very difficult to not lose in boxing, particularly in a heavyweight division, when one punch can change it all. But you guys guys got to remember, man, all the politics, all the shadiness, all the behind-the-scenes nastiness, that increases as the weight increases as well. It is no bigger than in the heavyweight division. There's more shady, nasty, crazy shit going on behind the scenes in the heavyweight division more than any other division in the sport. So for a heavyweight to come back and control his situation the way AJ has, man, it's it's damn impressive. It's just very, very impressive. And people forget he's still in his career, still fairly young. He's still got several years to go. And I want to talk about that. Six years as a professional fighter right now, Anthony Joshua. Six years as a pro. He has W's over undefeated versions of Dillian White, Dominic Brazil, Joseph Parker. Now, none of those guys are making the Hall of Fame. 
But two of them are arguably top five heavyweights right now. We know Dillian White's a top five heavyweight. Parker's right on the bubble. I think Parker's the fifth best heavyweight in the world right now, personally. But some people, some of you guys might see him as six, seven, somewhere in there. Anyway, two top ten guys, one top five guy, undefeated, took their O's, okay? Plus the win against Vladimir. Wins over Alexander Povetkin, top ten guy. This win now against Andy Ruiz. And then Carlos Takam, who's a perennial contender, top 15 level guy. He's done that in six years and unified three titles. Now, he's he's benefited from opportunistic matchmaking. He got to basically buy his title off Charles Martin, the first title. Okay, that didn't really mean shit. But the other guys, he's you know this. I didn't even mention Charles Martin here in these names. The other guys he's defeated, he's built up a good resume, man. Six years, undefeated Dillian White, Dominic Brazil, Joseph Parker, Vladimir Klitschko, Alexander Povetkin, Andy Ruiz, Carlos Takam. Done that in six years. Now let's compare this to Deontay Wilder, who has been a pro for 11 years. 11 years. He's been a pro for almost twice as long as Anthony Joshua. Put that into perspective. He beat Dominic Brazil. This year, a couple years after Anthony Joshua took his O, beat, beat him down, and several other fighters have softened up Brazil, dropped him multiple times. He's been in wars. He's taken hell of punishment. I'll still put Brazil on Wilder's list, but he's not the level, the same guy that Anthony Joshua fought and took an O from. Dominic Brazil, Berman Stavern in the first fight. We won't count Stavern in the second fight. That was just Don King getting a favor from Suleiman, and Luis Ortiz twice, Tyson Fury, the draw with Fury, where many people feel that he got some home cooking, being an American, fighting in America, many people feel Tyson Fury won. So that's what Wilder's done in 11 years. Never unified any titles, just has the WBC, where his manager, advisor, has a very, very comfortable relationship with WBC management that goes back a long way. They basically took the mantle from Don King with the WBC. Dominic Brazil, Berman Stavern, Luis Ortiz twice, a draw with Tyson Fury. Now, speaking of Fury, he's also been a pro for 11 years. Twice as long, basically, as Anthony Joshua. His record's even shittier, in a way, than, than Wilder's. But it depends on, let me just say. He did beat an undefeated Derek Chisora. That W has aged pretty well. For Tyson Fury, that's probably his second best win. An undefeated Derek Chisora. No one's calling Derek Chisora a top 10 heavyweight or anything like that, but he's a good perennial contender, and on any given night, he can knock someone out. He's got that power, right? So he's basically on par with like a Carlos Takam level guy, right? Right around there, okay? Dominic Brazil, maybe like that. And so Fury beat him when he was undefeated. That's a good quality win. He has the win against Vladimir Klitschko. When he was the champ, that's a great win. Wasn't 100% version of Vladimir that went in the ring that night. There were some similarities to when AJ went in against Ruiz with the stuff behind the scenes. But still, that's a great win. That's the best win in the division right now any, anybody has. I've been over the fact that Tyson Fury took performance-enhancing drugs. He was caught. He got away with it. He blamed it on eating wild boar and UCAD, batted an eye and said, eh, pay us some money. You're good. Here's your license. Whatever. There's an asterisk next to that win, in my opinion, but officially it goes down in the books as a win. And then many people feel he beat Deontay Wilder. Many people feel Tyson Fury beat Deontay Wilder. He got dropped twice. It is what it is. So again, guys, I'm looking at Wilder and Fury's resumes and adding that I have to add them together for their resume to come close to equaling what Joshua's done in half the time. I'm not saying this because I get some money from Eddie Hearn and Matchroom for saying this. I'm just telling you guys what the reality is. One dude's been around half as long, and he's done twice as much. That matters. That matters a lot more than him taking a loss early this year. Who gives a shit? He came back, and he avenged the loss. What do you want? One guy, Fury, was out for two and a half years. It was a two-time popper with banned substances. 
The other guy, Deontay Wilder, fought nobody for the first basically 40 fights of his career. You're mad at AJ because he took a loss. I understand a loss matters. It does matter. Okay, and that's, again, that's why I don't rate him number one right now. I rate him number three by default. But I'm telling you right now, he's got a better resume than Wilder and Fury. He just does. So there's a three-headed monster in the heavyweight division right now. It's those three guys. However you want to rank them in whatever order, I don't give a shit. But the bottom line is those are the three guys, and then there's everybody else. Top three is pretty much universally recognized. It's the same three guys. Four through ten in the heavyweight division, flip a coin. There's levels, but, you know, these three guys are at a different level than everybody else. I'll say this also about Anthony Joshua. The lessons he learned from that tough win over a faded Vladimir Klitschko, where he got dropped and had to come back and and finally knocked out uh, Vlad, and the loss and then recovery win against Andy Ruiz, those lessons are going to serve him well later on in his career. And if fights with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury ever happen, those lessons are going to serve him well in those situations. And we'll see how this whole thing plays out. Now, AJ is never going to have the best chin, right? We've seen, I still, we still don't know for sure if Deontay Wilder has a granite chin. He's been hurt by several guys, several guys who are not even top 10 heavyweights. We've seen Tyson Fury dropped by a cruiserweight, and he was dropped twice by Wilder, okay? So I don't think any of these guys has a granite chin. But technically, AJ is the only one of the three that's been stopped. So I get, if you want to rate his chin number three, okay. I don't know if I believe that necessarily, but we'll find out. We'll find out in due time. I just, when you, when you fight better fighters, number one, you're going to get hit more. And number two... You're going to get hurt more because you're fighting better fighters. That's how this thing works. So also on this card, oh, you know what? Real quick, real quick. I know you guys hate punch numbers. Let me just go over this real quick. Because, okay, a lot of people are saying Anthony Joshua ran. For some reason, people are getting on Anthony Joshua, I think because they have an agenda against Eddie Hearn. It's much the same way people get on Terrence Crawford because they have an agenda against Bob Arum. I hate shit like that. Who gives a damn who the fighter is, what promoter they're with? Just talk about the fighter and what they're doing. Anyway, Anthony Joshua didn't run. He boxed. We've seen fighters run many times. I could name you a bunch of examples of when fighters have ran. In this fight, Anthony Joshua threw 36 punches around. That's not going to set CompuBox on fire. But Andy Ruiz only threw 22 per round. So you can't be running and throwing more punches than your opponent. It don't work that way. Generally speaking, when guys run, it's because they're being outworked by a pressure fighter. That's not what we saw here. We saw one guy boxing and moving. Did AJ back up at times? Yes. But he also moved to his side. He used lateral movement. He also moved forward plenty in this fight. He moved forward plenty and pushed Ruiz back. Plenty in this fight. A lot of pivots, a lot of spinning and turning in the center of the ring. How many times did you see AJ's back on the ropes in this fight? A handful of times. Most of the time, he was moving in the middle of the ring. Also, a lot's been made about the ring size, and even I made a mistake. I said that that ring was huge the other night, right? It's the same size of the ring that they had in Madison Square Garden June 1st. But Anthony Joshua lands 107 out of 373 punches for 29%. Ruiz lands 60 out of 267 punches for 23%. What did I tell you guys in the key to victory last week? Andy Ruiz had to go for broke early. He had to strike lightning in a bottle again and hurt AJ early and get his respect. He didn't do that. He sat there in the middle of the ring plotting and let AJ dictate the pace. Why? Because he didn't want to get knocked out because he knew his stamina wasn't there. Ruiz landed just 23 jabs. When you're a shorter guy and you're trying to work your way in, you got to throw more jabs. He landed 23 jabs. AJ landed 65. Joshua landed 41% of his power punches. Punch numbers are not gospel, 
but they do give you indications as to what took place in a fight. And those punch numbers do. And they indicate to me that while Joshua, again, didn't throw five, 600 punches and set CompuBox you know, numbers on fire, he did do more than Ruiz in every single round. Again, there was one or two close swing-type rounds. But if you had it 120-108, AJ, that's not a crazy scorecard. It's not. So people saying that he ran, the punch numbers don't indicate that. And the action in the fight did not indicate that. And what I saw, particularly in the second half of the fight, and I talked about this in my live fight party video, and thanks to all you guys who watched that. It was awesome. We had a great time. But Andy Ruiz in the second half of the fight, was not throwing any punches when he was on the outside or in mid-range. None. He, he would only throw punches when they got inside in a clinch. And you throw slapping, cupping punches to the side or back of AJ's head or his, his lower back. That's all he did. He stopped punching from the outside. You know why? Because he was about to get knocked out. Because when, when he was on the outside, some of those right hands were landing from AJ and they were hurting Andy Ruiz. And he knew... If he, at that point, because he had no steam on his punches, in the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th round, if he punched from the outside and missed or got parried and countered, he probably was going to get stopped. I'm telling you guys, as somebody who's been in the ring a couple hundred rounds of sparring myself, but more than that, I've seen thousands of rounds of fights, sparring amateurs up close, on TV, all of it. And I could tell body language. Andy Ruiz, watch the fight again. He stops punching from the outside and mid-range late in that fight because he knew he could get knocked out. He didn't believe in himself. And he was trying to just go the distance. I'm telling you right now. Also on this card, Alexander Povetkin and Michael Hunter had a draw over 12 rounds. This was a WBA heavyweight eliminator. So what happens now? I don't know. I guess they have to do it again. Who knows? It's the WBA. Uh, I will say this, man. Michael Hunter... I thought he eked it out. I had it like 115, 113. I thought he eked this fight. I thought he did a little bit more than Povetkin, but Povetkin, I'll give it to him. He did finish strong. He was huffing and puffing. He was tired, but he bit down, and he really, really tried to uh, even the scorecards up. So I was cool with the draw. I was very, very okay with the draw. But for Michael Hunter, a former cruiserweight, to come up and be drawing with a top 10 crafty heavyweight like Alexander Povetkin, it shows me that he's a player at heavyweight. Do I see him winning a title or anything? No. But he's going to provide uh, good fights for us over the next few years in the heavyweight division and be a borderline top 10 guy. You could absolutely put Michael Hunter in the top 10 right now based off this draw with Povetkin. Povetkin's probably number seven, number eight in the world in the, in the division right now. And Michael Hunter just had a draw with him. And he just beat Sergey Kuzmin earlier, who was an undefeated guy. Not, not great. Maybe a top 20 level guy or whatever. But he beat him. Close fight, but he beat him. Or actually, that wasn't that close. He dropped Kuzmin. So I think, look, Michael Hunter's a top 10. Bottom part of the top 10 heavyweight. Let me ask you guys this. Who wins between Michael Hunter and Andy Ruiz right now? I, I might lean towards... Uh, Michael Hunter, by close decision. All things being fair in the cards. I might lean towards Michael Hunter. Seriously. Gail Falkenthal says, Hunter looked a lot better than White. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that one in a second. Although I'd like Hunter to lose a little bit of that gut. A little bit of that gut. He's, he's looking a little pudgy. Everyone on this card except for Joshua looked a little pudgy. <laughs> there was something, It was I get it's heavyweights, but damn guys, clean it up a little bit. But um, Usyk's win, yeah, I'm going to go here again. I know, I'm going to annoy some of you. But Usyk's win two years ago against Michael Hunter is aging very well. I just got to put it out there again. Dillian White, unanimous decision win over Maria Shavak. 97-93 twice, 98-93. Dillian White was 271 pounds for this fight, and that was on Friday. His fat ass was probably 280 on fight night. He was 259 for Oscar Rivas. In July. Sorry, but basically what I saw here was a better version of Andy Ruiz. A fat guy who can fight, but needs to get in better shape. If Dillian White wants to be taken seriously, look, when Dillian White is in the 250s, he's a top five heavyweight and he's a challenge for anybody in the division. Anybody. 
or the three, I should say the big three. But when he lets himself go in between fights, dude, you got to be consistent. If you want to be taken seriously, you got to be consistent. Now, I feel bad for him because UCAD really screwed him this year because he had a fight lined up with Deontay Wilder. But man, stay in shape. Stay the course, my man. Stay the course. I like Dillian White a lot. And, you know, again, he got screwed this year. But stay in shape. Even if you're getting screwed, stay in the gym. Stay in shape, bro. Because you never know when that phone's going to ring. And you got to be ready. Philip Hergovich, KO3 win over Eric Molina. I was a little disappointed in Eric Molina's performance. He kept bending over. A lot of punches were landing on the back of his head. But... He was causing it. He was leaning over. So I thought the ref could have warned Hergovich a few times and give him at least one really stern warning. Like, bro, I'm going to take a point. You keep doing this shit. Because some of them did look purposeful. They didn't look accidental. But Molina just, yeah, SSB28 says Molina came for that paycheck. I, I concur. That's, that's basically what I saw. Okay, so also on Saturday, uh, top rank in Zanford from Puebla, Mexico on ESPN Plus, not a very strong card. Not a very strong card. But they kept a couple guys busy. It was, it was okay. Some of the undercard fights were good. Emmanuel Navarrete scores a TKO four win over a churro delivery boy. Defends his WBO junior featherweight title once more. I want to see him fight one of the top guys in the division next year. I like Navarrete a lot. But I like that he stayed busy. If you're staying, I think he fought four times this year. So no complaints about his level of opponent. If you're fighting four times a year... Sometimes you're going to fight a churro delivery boy. But I want to see him against one of the other champions in 2020. Jerwin Ancajas, TKO6 over a Chilean. I don't know. Banana delivery boy. I don't know. That's just, okay. Uh, no, I mean, Miguel Gonzalez is probably better than Francisco Horta, but still not the level of opponent you want to see Ancajas fight. In my opinion, he's had a lackluster reign in his three years as IBF super band, or I'm sorry, junior bantamweight champion. This is the eighth defense of his title. I like that again. He's staying busy. He's getting defenses, but I want to see Ancajas unified titles next year too. Also, PBC on Showtime from Barclays Center. Fight of the night, the Japanese fighter, Ryosuke Iwasa, the taller, longer fighter, then Marlon Tapolis, the Filipino fighter, scores a TKO 11 win to grab the vacant IBF interim. How can, not only is this an interim title, it's a vacant interim title. Jesus Christ, how many words for a title can you have? The vacant interim IBF 122-pound title. Holy shit, that's a mouthful. Scores were 95-94 and 97-92 at the time of the stoppage. Uh, top of this is knocked down the third and 11th round. Chris Eubank Jr., TKO2 win over Matvey Korobov. So I feel bad because this was the fight I was really excited about. It sucks, but these things happen in sports, man. Matvey Korobov won the first round. It was winning the second round, the few seconds that there was, and uh, blew out his shoulder. So he blew out his shoulder and could not continue. And because it was due to injury... TKO win for Chris Eubank Jr. automatically. That's the rules there in New York. And he wins, Eubank does, the vacant WBA interim middleweight title. Another, another vacant interim title. Awesome. And then in the main event, Jamal Charlo, TKO 7 win over an Irish midget. I'm just joking, Dennis Hogan. Dennis Hogan, um, look, clearly not a middleweight. And came in here and got his money and everything, but just completely different level. Of a fighter and athlete than Jamal Charlo, right? Jamal Charlo just a level above. Scores knockdowns in the fourth and seventh. Defends his WBC uh, middleweight title. It's it's an absolute joke to the WBC that Jamal Charlo holds their middleweight title, and it's it's concerning the the level of business that they do with PBC, just like it's concerning the level of business that the WBO does with Top Rank. I look at Jamal Charlo. And, I, and this isn't to beat up on him, but because I think he's a talented fighter. I want to see him in there against the best guys. But his middleweight resume right now is Jorge Sebastian Highland, Hugo Centeno Jr., Matt Vekorobov last year, where he had one fight in two years coming into that fight and just blew out his shoulder in a round just from throwing a punch. That tells you the, the age and where, where Korobov was at. And then Brandon Adams... 
who is a contender guy that showed a contender, but nowhere near an elite level middleweight. And then Dennis Hogan, who was nowhere near an elite level junior middleweight. So that's the, the middleweight run for quote unquote champion, WBC champion, Jamal Charlo. That's a joke. That, that's a really bad, I mean, there's worse, but it's a bad title resume. It's a bad champion resume for the last two, three years. You compare him to the other title holders over the last two, three years or whatever, that's not a very good run. It's not a very good resume. So look, I just criticized Jerwin Ancajas and Emmanuel Navarrete, and they're with top rank. I got to be fair. So I'm going to criticize Jamal Charlo right now, and he's with PBC. I'm fair across the board, okay? I don't want to hear that I'm being biased and ragging on PBC and everything else. Don't want to hear that shit. I got to go back to Thursday, December 5th, Golden Boy Promotions card from Costa Mesa, California on the zone. Ishmael Barroso scores a upset victory, 2019. The upsets just keep on coming over Yevis Ulesi Jr., 115-113, twice in 117-111. These are junior welterweights. Ulesi, you might remember, beat Cletus Selden in 2017 on HBO, and that was somewhat of a, I don't want to say upset at the time, but it upset HBO's plans and the boxing establishment's plans at that time. And that was a good, good win for him. Put him on the map. In boxing fans' minds, at least with diehard fight fans. And then he doesn't do dick after that. He had some issues outside the ring. But now he loses to Ishmael Barroso. That's it for Ulesi. That's it. Demetrius Ballard, majority draw against Yamaguchi Falcao, who uh, I, I mistook him for the other Falcao brother. This Falcao is coming off a unanimous decision loss to Christopher Pearson in May. Last week on the preview show, I said he was undefeated. He wasn't. He was coming off a loss. So that was a mistake on my end. Uh, but this was a draw here for Demetrius Ballard. I was a little disappointed. I wanted to see a little more decisiveness. I wanted to see one guy separate themselves from the other. But it was a good scrap. So that's what took place last week. And, of course, we'll do the preview show for what's coming up this weekend on Thursday. Let's get to the chat real quick, guys. Do you like uh, or, well, let's see here. Do you have any questions to get to? You guys are just talking about, <laughs> some of you are saying Anthony Joshua is roided out of his mind. Okay, so 100 iTuber says AJ's roided out of his mind. Look, bro, there's, there's absolutely zero evidence from that. I mean, the guy did VADA testing for his fight with Vlad. I know he did VADA testing for the Ruiz fight. It, it was Jarrell Big Baby Miller that tested positive for a cocktail of steroids. And he did full VADA testing for this rematch. I think he's done Vada for other fights too. But I know I, those three I remember for sure off the top of my head. If something was going on, I would have detected it. Now, he's not doing year-round Vada. So, hey man, maybe something's going on between fight camps. I don't know. Maybe something was going on and he cut it out after the first Ruiz fight. There's all sorts of conjecture and speculation and conspiracy theories out there. But he's never failed a test. Never, never, never failed a test. Sam asking, what is my early prediction for Lopez versus Comey? Well, we'll talk about that in detail Thursday. But early on, I've been telling you all along, I like Lopez. I think Lopez is going to win. And I think the best thing that happened to him was having that tough fight he had earlier this year. Let's see. Oh, Harrison Property telling me the other dude was trolling. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, a couple. We gotta always get a couple of trolls in the chat. There's nothing you can do. Oh, Joe Morgan asked, "Are there any updates with Errol Spence?" No, I know Errol was not at that Charlo fight, but I think his trainer was, or some people from his team, they were there. But Errol Spence himself was not, which I think is good. That surprised some people. They're like, "Why isn't he there supporting his boy?" He don't need to be around the fights right now and around the alcohol and the drinking and the fans. Hey, man, let me take a picture. Hey, let me get you a drink. He don't need to be around that shit right now. He's taking it easy and resting. So I, I like that. And I, I think that's a good thing for Errol Spence. I'd like him to do more speaking publicly and, and you know, being a little more uh, transparent with the media. But uh, I do like that he's keeping quiet right now. I think that's a smart move. So all, of, uh, all I've seen and heard is that he's taking it easy and resting right now. And that's a good thing, man. That's a good thing. Oh, uh, Nurkan. 
Nurkin is asking me, do I know what happened between Jacobs and his trainer, Andre Rozier, Daniel Jacobs and Andre Rozier? As, as far as I understand it, man, Daniel Jacobs has no hard feelings against Andre Rozier. All he wanted was to just go a different direction. And I've talked about this before. He took loss to, uh, to Golovkin and the loss to Canelo. And after a couple losses like that, a lot of times fighters just want to switch up their team and switch up their strategy and what they're doing. And something that, you know, the, the process, the training camp process that he was doing with Andre Rozier, he felt he needed to make a change. And that's all I've heard, that he just kind of wanted to make a change in camp. And I think finances may have been a part of it, but I think it was maybe that's the reason he, he used or gave. But ultimately what it was is he needed a change of pace. And it's kind of like Gennady Golovkin right now with Jonathan Banks. So, um, yeah, I don't think Jacobs has any hard feelings or anything like that against Andre Rozier. I was kind of sad when I saw that, man, because those two went together like peanut butter and jelly, just like Golovkin and Sanchez. But these things happen after a loss, man. They happen. Pietro is asking me about, did I hear about a Montreal-based promoter? Camille Estefan calling out Deontay Wilder and offering him $20 million to fight a prospect there. And I'm Arslanbek Makmulov. No, I have not heard that. But if they really are going to pay him $20 million, Wilder should go take that easy money. Because this dude's really a prospect. He's not ready for Wilder right now. <laughs> uh, DS Kennels 210 asks, will Saudi Arabia become a major player for boxing events in the future? According to Eddie Hearn, Yes. According to Eddie Hearn, yes. We're going to see. Apparently, he's planning two shows there next year. So they're going to go back because, man, they're getting paid. Everything's funny when you're making money. Again, I don't love it, but I'm not going to sit here and protest and say, I'm not watching because of the human rights. You know, I'm not going to interject politics into it um, and be a hypocrite about it. It is what it is. Let's see. Piglet Smith asks, does Klitschko make a comeback at 45? No, he doesn't. I don't think Vladimir Klitschko is ever coming back. BB Muteman asks, Mike, how important do you think a trainer is? I think in boxing it's very important. And it's not just the trainer himself, um, the relationship between the fighter and the trainer, but it's also the trainer's team. And the atmosphere at the gym, the process that they go through in the camp. So um, that whole scene can create a fighter and make them better. I think right now, like the Reynosos, right? Eddie Reynoso working with Canelo Alvarez. And then recently, I think they brought on Ryan Garcia. And I think, I believe they brought on Oscar Valdez, I believe. Or maybe I'm mixing them up with someone else. But you bring in a few guys like that. Working together. It's just like the Charlos work with Spence, right? You got, I think Irislandi Lara works down there in Houston. Uh, Regis Prograve was down there for a while. When you got a group of guys around you like that, man, that creates like a team. And when you get that team atmosphere going, that's a big deal. And that's what I think Golovkin and Abel Sanchez had going there for a while in Big Bear. Other guys that were training there that were average level fighters were getting above average level results just being around that. So the trainer, the gym, the atmosphere, all that's very important. Look at Jamel Herring. Jamel Herring moved over to top rank from PBC. Uh, and, and by the way, he, said he has no beef with PBC. It just they didn't have the same vision for him. They, it just didn't work out what they wanted to do with him. Top rank had a much better vision and knew how to use and market a guy like him. But he got with Bomack, you know, Bud Crawford's team, but not just Bomack, the trainer, and in that gym there. But he's working with their nutrition person, their strength and conditioning person. He went from 135 to 130, you know, in his prime years. He's in his 30s, lost weight and won a title and is looking better than he's ever looked. So sometimes it's not just a trainer, it's the whole team. It's the whole team. You know what I mean? It's very important in boxing. Very, very rarely do you have a guy like I would say Andre Ward. He was with um, Virgil Hunter all those years. 
Virgil Hunter is a decent trainer, but I think he's vastly overrated. I think Andre Ward made Virgil Hunter, not the other way around. Andre Ward was just special. Now, they had a connection, the two of them, and chemistry, and it worked for them. But I get a feeling that Andre Ward could have went into any gym, the wild card with Freddie Roach, or he could have went up to Oxnard and, and worked with uh, Garcia, anybody, and he was going to be a special fighter because he was just a special fighter. Gideon P says, Abel Sanchez has always been overrated to me. Look, a lot of people say that. You're not the only person who says that. But, you know, when I look at Abel Sanchez, I just look at the track record, dude. And Abel actually keeps uh, the numbers with this stuff. But their winning percentage in that gym, I want to say, is over 90%. It's, it's, it's some crazy number like that. Or maybe that's in title fights. It's like 90%. They have an amazing track record. Abel Sanchez and the fighters he's trained while he's trained them. So you you can't argue with the results, dude. Abel Sanchez gets results. Piglet Smith asking, who has the best chin in the the division? Uh, I assume you're asking about the heavyweight division? I don't know, man. Um, Maybe Joseph Parker. Maybe Joseph Parker. Maybe Andy Ruiz. He's shown a really good chin. He's been dropped, but he's shown a really good chin. Um, maybe it's one of the top three guys that we just don't know yet. We need to see a little more from them. Anyway, all right, guys, we've been going here for over 50 minutes. Tune in Thursday. We'll preview what's coming up this week. Uh, Sorry for the technical difficulties earlier. Sometimes it just feels like the first five minutes or so, there's tech difficulties, then it irons out, and then everything's cool. So um, anyway, guys, I appreciate you for watching. Be sure to thumbs up the video, share it, Get it out there and go and give likes, ratings, reviews on all my links. That helps me out so, so much. All right, guys, thank you very much. I'll see you at the fights.